0: The word of the Lord today comes from Hebrews 12, chapters 1 to 2. The race of faith. And I'm reading it from the NIV, and then I will read it from the Passion Version. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him... uh, Sorry. Um. endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right-hand throne of God. <laughs> and the passion version. As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah!
1: That's so good. <laughs> Why don't we all just stretch out a hand to Jim right now? If you're visiting, Jim's one of our associate
0: vicars. Um, and so, Father, we uh, we just thank you, Lord, for this man, for what you've placed on his heart this morning.
1: We say, Holy Spirit, would you inspire his words? Would you speak through him? And would you bring freedom? Revelation and truth to
0: your people this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. 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 Um, I, think, I feel like I want that reading again. That was um, that was really fun. Let's start with this. Um, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Um, how are the things of the world for you right now, I wonder? I've been thinking a bit about the fact that we are living in what seem to be times of uncertainty. So if we start at a national level, um, of course, we've got a big week coming up. And Thursday marks a day that will change our country and uh, all sorts of... um, Views probably in this room about what we might or might not want to see happen uh, come Friday morning, uh, once we know what's happened overnight um, in the count. Um, If you're asleep, we've got a general election on Thursday. (laughs) Um, And if you didn't know that, then uh, get to the polls. Um, I have some friends um, who run churches who are very vocal about how we should vote. And it really winds me up, (laughs) because I think that's an abuse of position. And I hope you will never hear us um, say, you know, from here or from anywhere, uh, you know, in a a leader setting, kind of how to, you know, uh, decide on uh, Thursday. Uh, That's fine if it comes out in a private conversation and you're interacting and all of that. Um, But it's quite a divisive issue, isn't it? Uh, We've known that for some years, but this feels really significant. It's setting a trajectory that could do all sorts of things. And some of us may be really thrilled if we woke up to a hung parliament. I'm not suggesting I would be. Please don't hear that. Some of us might be thrilled to discover um, a conservative government or a Labour government Uh, Because it's probably not likely to be much else unless it's a hung parliament and then something has to arise out of it. I don't know where you stand, um, but the point is we're in times of uncertainty in our nation. We've obviously got the general election and all that's tied into it with Brexit and all of that, and it creates a sense of anxiety. I have friends who run businesses who are petrified that Labour might get into power because of what it could do. But I also have friends who work in the NHS who are petrified if the Conservatives get into power for all sorts of reasons. And, you know, depending on what makes up our life will sort of determine how we see things. But the point isn't about what we do or don't vote. It's about... What are we feeling inside? Anxiety or fear or those sorts of uh, emotions that sort of come with an election on this scale. If we're to talk about more locally, we've been in a period of discernment to try and seek the Lord as to how to move us forward as a church. Now we've got our... Uh, vision that we saw, we saw the youth version, but we've got vision 2033 set out there. This is the path that the Lord has us on. And it's awesome because it roots us. That's the, the, the vision that uh, James and Lou have received from the Lord and that, you know, all of us, I think, probably have bought into and gone, yes, I want to be a part of this. And it roots us, which is fantastic. But we are in a a transition period as a church family. And you could argue that that never changes. We are always in transition. It's the nature of the kingdom. However, I think, and I'm just sensing this prophetically, this is not stuff that I've heard in conversations with people. I have had one or two conversations with people about this, but it's not the sort of on the grapevine or anything like that. I'm just sensing, um, and I think it goes with the state the nation is in right now, of uncertainty, of anxiety, and um, in terms of where are we going? What's going to arise out of this? What changes are going to come? And we don't know yet, so don't think we're about to unleash a huge change we know we're going to be launching um, small communities um, in uh, around March um, and um, so that's something we're really excited about that is one change that's coming but beyond that we don't really know exactly how we're going to respond to what the Lord has been speaking into and and that creates anxiety it doesn't have to create anxiety, but it provides the environment where we are so out of control because we don't know what's going to happen. And that provides the, the framework for us to potentially partner with things that don't come from heaven. Fear and anxiety, that kind of stuff. So, I I don't know where you feel, but sometimes I find myself just being in a moment of prayer going, Lord, what's going to happen? How does so-and-so fit into this? How do I fit into this? How do my children fit into this? What does it look like for us as a family? What does it look like for Matt and Sarah? I'm not particularly thinking about them, but for any, (laughs) although I love them. But, you know, for all of us, what, what does it mean and does it matter? You know, um, if we're pursuing Jesus as a family, then we're going to be all right. You know, something that um, my brother-in-law said to Dolly the other week, um, she was calling him up about some stuff and he was sharing some of the anxieties that he was feeling nationally and he said, you know what, Dole, the thing is, no matter what's going on around us, Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he is constant and he never changes. And I'm like, Jody, you legend. <laughs> it's so simple, but it's so true. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation upon which we can plant ourselves and be built into whatever he's doing in our lives. Um, I want to hit uh, something today that connects with this and I was trying to work out how to illustrate it and I just thought um, very simply, of and I know I always talk about my kids, please forgive me, it's just so present in my life right now, um, but I was, I'm not going to give a specific example here, but if you have been a child, anyone here been a child? Um, then my hope is that you will have had this experience at some point in your life. And um, it is possible that you haven't, and and I I hope that's not true. But um, So, with our children, there come points where, and I know you're going to struggle to believe this is true, um, particularly about our children, Dory and my children, there are times when they don't behave. (laughs) And... and, and sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it can be really <laughs> embarrassing, can't it? It depends where it happens. Um, but if it happens in here, it's quite embarrassing. Um, well, it's not really, but it could be. And um, you know when they do something in public and you're just like... <gasps> and, um, but anyway, I'm digressing. The point is, sometimes they do stuff they know they're not really allowed to do because it doesn't fit with our culture and values and what we've been, the way we've been bringing them up. And so let's just say, one of my kids, let's just pick Rex, why not? Um, let's say he um, has done something and we wish he hadn't done it. And he's cross and he's got himself into a state. Uh, what I will do, uh, and Dolly would do it too, but I'm just going to speak from my perspective, is I'd get alongside him and I'd make sure, first of all, that I'm not angry because if I'm angry then everything I say comes through that filter and he will pick up on it and he won't engage. So I've got to deal with my stuff first and if I've taken offence, and parents we take offence, um, if I've taken offence and you know, I'm like why did he do that or something like that, um, then uh, I'm not in a good place. So first of all, I've got to get this right. Once I'm right, and, um, and that might be straight away, but occasionally I might need to, you know, just deal with some stuff. I will then come alongside him and I'll say, hey, what's going on? Or something like that. And his eyes will be like this. And he looks, he's got his mouth down like that, fat lip, you know. And... He looks upset, he looks like he's on the edge of tears, and his eyes go droopy, and he looks down at the floor, and he won't engage with me. And I think you know what that is, right? Shame, great. So he's dealing with the fact that he's done something he shouldn't have done, and he's been caught. And now he feels exposed to shame. And... um, So he looks down, because what does shame make you feel? It makes you, yeah, it makes you feel guilty, uh, it makes you feel dirty, it makes you feel unworthy to be in the presence of whoever, you know, in in this situation it would be me. He feels just not like he should be there, and he feels ashamed that he's done something he shouldn't have done. And I say to him every time, Rex, Rex, Eyes on me. And he tries. He goes, he goes like this. <laughs> Rex, eyes on me. You know, and we have this little sort of interaction, this interplay. Because I need him to see what's going on behind here. And I can use language to translate it. But actually, he needs to see the safety... In my eyes. He needs to see that I love him. And he needs to feel safe. And if he doesn't feel safe. I will not be able to connect with his spirit. With his soul. So I've got to create an environment of safety. Even if he's been naughty. Now the classic discipline culture. Is big truck little truck. Now, that's an Americanism, but it basically means I'm going to be a big truck and my truck is bigger than your truck and you will do what I say. And it's built on a culture of fear. It's built on a culture of control. And we don't build connection when we operate out of an environment of fear and control. So I'm looking to produce safety for him so that he feels safe. When he feels safe, he can hold my gaze. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That's it. You can carry on if you like. Isn't it the same? How often do you feel guilty? How often do I feel shame? Because I, instead of listening and turning my gaze upon Jesus, have been listening to something else and looking at something else. It's fascinating to me that all I said to Tom um, last week was, I'm going to do something about fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. I don't know anything more than that. And now we look at the service. I don't think I even shared that with you guys, but they knew the passage. And look how God has built into this service the elements that I'm already going after. And Matt came up and sensed the Lord doing something in this area. And now I didn't say I was going to share this, but as he was doing it, I'm like, Lord, you're so good. And that's a foundation that sits under everything. He is good. But he's not the only one who is good. Because after he created everything, he surveyed it, didn't he? He looked at creation he admired almost the work of his hands, and he saw that it was good. You are good. Now, let's just open the,
0: the passage for a moment. Um, okay. Okay.
1: Um, There's quite a lot in this passage, and I'm not going to be able to go through everything, but just a couple of highlights. Therefore links us back to the previous passage. Whenever you read Therefore in the Bible, read what has come before it. I think you know what's come before it. It's the story of basically the Hebrew nation. It's about the the giants in the faith, the people in faith. He went through all sorts of experience and... um, uh, and succeeded for whatever reason through faith in God. That's effectively what the previous passage about. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who've gone before us, who've done this already and entered the promised land, effectively, um, so we've got this huge history of faith and the, the, the people who've gone before us, we've got that behind us as a foundation, that now we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, those who've gone before us. All the testimonies we've ever heard are the cloud of witnesses. So it's not just those in scripture, it's the stuff that's happening now, the stuff you read in Church Life magazine, cloud of witnesses. All of us are part of that. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run uh, with perseverance the race marked out for us. Does it say, let us run super quickly to get to our destination? It says, let us run with perseverance. What does that imply? I heard someone over there say it's hard. Something along those lines. You know, the danger of a miraculous culture is that we are so focused on the breakthrough that we forget the journey. And God is committed to our freedom. And he, he doesn't put... Um, I don't think how to say this. He, he is really committed to our growth. And so sometimes when we are in a trial, the breakthrough that we are thinking will come might not come. Because we need to run with perseverance. Why? Because we need to grow in Him. And so some of our journey is about perseverance. And you know, there's the stuff throughout the New Testament, about persevering through trial. It's a huge part of being a believer. But in the miraculous culture, in a heaven-on-earth culture, it's very easy to lose sight of it. And we want the instant fix. And God does do that for some people. But most of the time, he's committed to our growth. And actually, that's a process that requires perseverance. Um, slight sidetrack because the next bit's where I want to focus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. In the original language, it doesn't say our faith, it just says faith, the author and perfecter of faith. I'm not going to take too much time on that. Um, so let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him. Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand throne. uh, Sorry, the right hand of the throne of God. Um, When we experience the trial, so uh, Paul is, uh, not Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, uh, probably not Paul, just so you know that. Um, I think we could probably say definitely not Paul. Uh, But whoever wrote Hebrews, uh, sets up this scenario. We're talking about an athlete in a race, and it's a long race that requires perseverance. Okay? Now, in those days, um, I'm not a brilliant historian on this area, but I, I've heard this through a number of different sources, that when they had these races, they would set the prize before the athletes, So that when they were in the race, they could see what they were running for, what they would gain. Okay, um, and so here Jesus says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him. The joy set before him is like the prize that the athletes would see. To enable them to persevere through the trial of the physical reality of running that race. What was Jesus' race? Well, it was the journey to and through the cross. It was a trial. It wasn't easy. So he had to set the prize before him. And I love this bit. What's the joy set before him? Now, when you read this, and I think that's why in the reading it got quite exciting. When you read this with that perspective, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Who for you set before him endured the cross. Just as those athletes could see whatever that prize was, the thing that Jesus focused on was... Uh, it, I mean, it's way bigger than just us as an individual. I'm very aware of that. But we do need to personalise it. But it was the fact that we could be one into freedom. And he held that before him. And it enabled him to endure the cross scorning all of its shame and enabled him eventually to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Through it he endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is deeply personal. It's about the, the greater kingdom in terms of the, the church of God, the body of Christ but we can personalize it. It's why in the passion, um, it, it, there's two ways of interpreting um, the, um, the joy set before him. W- one is uh, what I've just articulated, that it's effectively us. Um, the other is uh, that he placed the joy of the other side of the cross being one with the Father again, um, which is a different interpretation. Um, when you put it in context, it's got to be, I think, the first, because of what he says in verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the context is very much that. And the context is very much, since we're surrounded by such, such a great kind of witnesses, let us do off with those things that hinder us. Um, so, when we get to the message, oh sorry, the passion, um, he, he, he writes it like this uh, We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation. Now, I know some people here don't like the passion um, because um, there's an understanding that, you know, one person interpreted it. It's one take. It's not translated by committee. Um, What what I want to say is very simply um, this. um, If you'd like to have a discussion about the passion translation, do come and see me afterwards. It's really helpful to read alongside a more, what we might call traditional translation. Um, and I, I probably wouldn't use it as my only translation, because it does have a, um, an interpretive lens. And the interpretive lens is that heaven is here. The interpretive lens is that the kingdom is now. And so when you get the interpretive questions that come up for all Bible translators because you know that uh, we cannot translate literally word for word from Greek into English or from Hebrew into English. So we have to make interpretive decisions when when we do it. Um, The lens of uh, Brian Simmons who translated The Passion is very much a charismatic Pentecostal approach to theology. And so, that does colour some of the way um, it's translated. Um, so, just be aware, if you read it, that that's there. And it's, it is good and we use it here because, I, I personally, I find it really helpful to bring another dimension and sometimes the translations are really helpful, really good. Um, so, just that's a little bit on that. I haven't got time to do any more on it. So, here's the thing. How do we fix our eyes? On Jesus. If fixing our eyes on Him creates safety and enables us to be at a platform that um, looks different um, from the one we're currently on, well, how do we get there? I want to start. I've asked Mark very late in the day if we could flick up. Hopefully, it's the right one. Let's have a look. Yeah, that's the one I was going for. So I think most of you will have seen this before. Um, If you haven't, this is a a painting. by a young girl who, uh, I forget how old she was at the time, I think she was eight or nine when she painted this. She is a child prodigy called Akian and uh, has had an extraordinary journey um, in her art career. And um, in her sleep would have these extraordinary visions where she'd go to heaven and she'd hang out with Jesus and she'd see all these colours that she's never seen before. The way she describes heaven, it's extraordinary. She says, I can't. We don't have the stuff on earth that I can use to describe it. Um, now, uh, you know, we all have to sort of somewhere place that. What do we do with it? Um, but the point is that it's really informed her journey. And when she was uh, eight or nine, she painted this picture of Jesus. And she, the story basically goes, she really needed a model to, to be able to do it. And she was looking everywhere and uh, just didn't find the right guy. And one day, they're getting, um, some person knocks on their door and he's a Polish carpenter. I think he was Polish. Eastern European, I'm sure. Uh, carpenter. Don't you love that he was a carpenter? And it was, he looked like the Jesus in her dreams. So she said, please can you sit for me to paint you? And he did. And this is the result. And um, uh, there's another cool part of this picture, which um, there was a little boy called... um, Someone said it over there. What's his name? Colton. Something like that. Colton or Colby or something. Uh, Colton. Carlton, wasn't it? little boy called Carlton. And I can't go into the details, but he basically had a near-death experience, and um, through it he met Jesus, it was extraordinary, uh, and um, through a series of quite a few months, his parents were pastors, they didn't want to uh, mess up the, the story that he told about his experience, so they waited for him to share. And when he shared, they would um, you know, experience extraordinary things that God had done, and um, you know, amazing stuff happens in that story. He didn't know, but his mother had uh, lost a baby, um, and when he went to heaven, he met her. And, um, uh, and she was the age that she would have been, and they played together in heaven. It's just beautiful stuff that happens in this uh, beautiful book. It's uh, called Something About. Oh, I've forgotten that. What's it called? Thank you. Heaven is for real. That's the one. So, um, if you want to know, Patrick's got it. Anyway, beautiful book, really quick to read. And through the story, there, his dad is like, well, what does Jesus look like? I want to know what he looks like. And they scour the internet for hours and go through all these paintings and blah, blah, blah. And then eventually this one goes, he goes that's him! That's him! And he had seen this Jesus. Now, I think we do need to be a little bit careful um, because, okay, that was his revelation. And I'm not saying that this is what Jesus actually looks like. But um, it's a really powerful painting all the same. And um, I don't know how well you can see it in this picture because it's on the screen. um, But if you get a really good print, his eyes have this hazily glow. And it's just beautiful. I... I find it sort of undoes me. Anyway, so I find a picture like that really helpful, uh, just to draw me into him. And so one thing. Um, right, very quickly, and I do mean quickly, this is my sermon. <laughs> 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 um, I, um, it's just so I don't forget what I was going to say. So, some things that will help us uh, fix our eyes on Jesus. Really simple. Thanksgiving. It's so easy to forget, isn't it? But you know, time and time again, particularly in the Old Testament, the Lord says, Give thanks. Thank the Lord for what He's doing, etc., etc. Thanksgiving is huge, it changes our perspective. We stop being focused on me, 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 me. And we start being focused on the things that God is doing, not what we perceive that he's not doing. So, thanksgiving is huge. And if you're struggling to connect with Jesus, if you feel anxious, if you're experiencing fear, thanksgiving will start to unlock it. And it will pull you into a stronger place. I'm not going to say any more about it because um, I think we all know how to do thanksgiving. So, that's one. Praise. Okay, I think there's some um, interesting things. So, thanksgiving and praise are very similar. Thanksgiving is about God's acts. We thank him for what he's done. Praise is about his nature. We praise God because of who he is. And so, praise comes when we reflect on who he is and out of our heart comes this response. And that's praise. Now, sometimes... Um, It's not that revelatory because we're not getting that revelation. We just have to choose to praise despite the revelation we're not receiving. So we go to the scriptures or we go to some of the songs that we love. We connect with the truth of that. And then through that process, hopefully the true praise will come out. But even if it doesn't, we just choose to acknowledge and recognise who he is despite our circumstances. So praise is, is hugely powerful. When we focus on his nature, and I said earlier about this foundation of his goodness, it helps us to interpret everything else that's happening in our lives. So praise is hugely important. And this, I, I know it may not sound like this, but this is how we turn our eyes upon Jesus. It's how we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Worship. Worship is about his presence, it's slightly different to praise. Um, and in, in praise and thanksgiving, the things that we say are the offering. But in worship, we are the offering. It's different. We, we give him ourselves. We put ourselves in front of him because we feel safe. The praise and the thanksgiving helps us see into his eyes. We see his nature... And it's confirmed by what he's done and who we know him to be. And therefore, we can open ourselves up, become vulnerable. We move into worship in his presence and we offer ourselves. So those three things are so interlinked. Thanksgiving, praise and worship. Just a few other practicals here. Testimony. I know we talk about it, but it's so important. Focusing on what he's done. And you don't need your own testimonies. Of course, you can have them. I haven't brought a physical paper Bible with me here today, but let's imagine it's this. Um, we can turn to the Word, can't we? It's full of it, full of what he's done. And we just read through any of the books, really. Genesis, and there's so much in Genesis and Exodus. Uh, we can go through the Kings. You know, there's so many. Like the end of Kings 1 uh, and Kings 1, two uh, beginning of kings two two kings beautiful the stuff around elijah and elisha so exciting what's what we read there and um but there's so many amazing stories about the things god has done so there's plenty in here that we can just pull on uh to build us but remembering all the things he's done for us it's so helpful and if you run out, then just read Church Life magazine and celebrate what God's doing in someone else's life. Um, God's promises. I've spoken about this at the nine o'clock before. Um, God's promises, all the things He said. Obviously, the scripture itself. So we can pray the scriptures over us. Uh, you can take the um, beginning of like most of the epistles and apply it to yourself. I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love. Hey! Hey, uh, you may not know what that was all about. Uh, we had a church weekend in September, uh, October actually, and Leif Hetland um, spoke to us, and he kept doing this rooted and grounded in love. Hey, uh, but we so we pray that because it's scripture, and we pray it over ourselves. Lord Jesus, I thank you that I'm rooted and grounded in love, that all the riches of your goodness are available to me right now. Uh, We pray the scriptures over ourselves, whichever ones seem appropriate. This is something, Dolly got me this, um, something she does, and I'm like, that's awesome, I'm going to do it. Um, This is a little booklet with uh, cards, and I've written down all the prophecies that have been uh, given to me over the years. I had them in scraps of paper in a little folder, and I've uh, done shortened versions, bullet point versions in here. Um, This one covers a huge period of time. Um, And it goes right back to 1992, up to 2013. And I need to do another one for the last five years, where I think I've got even more, uh, just because of the environments I've been in, um, than I had over the last 20 years or so. Um, And it's just the things that God has said over a long period of time. And it's amazing how much stuff just matches up. And so if I'm feeling like I've lost my gaze, I've lost my focus, I need to turn my eyes upon Jesus this is super helpful, because it's what he said about me, um, or about our family, and um, there's loads of stuff there, and I just want to encourage you, if you've not done this, don't worry, if you've had loads of prophecies uh, prayed over you, and you just never wrote them down, or recorded them, don't worry, start today, it doesn't matter if you don't have any, the exciting thing is that you can build now, and if you've got any form of smartphone, you can record any environment you're in. So if you don't know how to do that, just work it out, Google it, and and record every time someone speaks anything. But I want to encourage you, get it off your digital media, onto paper, and if you do it in a little booklet like that, this sits on my desk, Um, if I feel I need it in the day, I just grab it and it goes in the bag, and it's there to me, you know, 25 years, or whatever it is, I can't think. Uh, nearly 30 years, it's 31 years, isn't it, in here? Beautiful. So, um, of prophetic stuff. And so, um, that's something you can do uh, really helpful. I've got the number wrong, haven't I? It's 21, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Some of you had spotted that. Anyway, so I want to encourage you to do that. Um, Really, I can feel wretched in the morning. Uh, That's not normal, but if it happens... And I go through that, I come out going, ah, oh, and I feel myself again. Really, really good stuff. Um, so that's God's promises. Um, really simple, and it's so obvious, but prayer. Um, God gave us the gift of tongues for a reason. He who prays in a tongue edifies himself. Woohoo! You know, that's awesome, isn't it? When you pray in a tongue, you edify yourself. So let's do it. If you're feeling, you know, I do this if I wake up in the night or wake up too early in the morning. I just pray in tongues and it's just so helpful um, and equipping and powerful and releasing. Of course, you you can pray the scriptures over you, as I've already said. um, And and then if you're, you know, reading the Bible or whatever you're doing, let that lead you into prayer. And just pray as the spirit leads you. Um, So important. Um, And the last thing I've got there is fellowship. Just um, get with people who you know who can call you into a better place if you're feeling down and low. These things all help us turn our gaze upon Jesus. But the big piece, and we're about to do it this year, is, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's two things. It's the journey towards his birth and his subsequent birth which we're just marking now, which is exciting. And then, of course, the journey towards the cross, his subsequent death and resurrection. And these things, it's why we do communion, we retell the story of the cross, because it empowers. And that's why it's there in the liturgy. It's such a powerful story. And Jesus said to do it. Every time we drink it, every time we eat it, remember what he's done. Because he knows that just in the retelling of the story, it fixes our gaze back onto him, what's important. Um, And the other thing I just was thinking about this morning, and I didn't know what to call it, but I like to call it, I came up with this idea, the divine reflection, which is the fact that, so Jesus, um, when he had to endure the cross, set before him the prize, That was you. Now, when we are in trial or something else, we get to reverse that and we fix our eyes on him. So we get to do what he did, but he did it about us and we get to do it about him. Does that make sense? We reverse that process. And so to get him through the cross, he fixed his eyes on the prize you and I, our freedom, what it would win and achieve, and then we get to fix our eyes on Him, and I think that's a beautiful exchange. We're out of time, and um, I would love, in the last few minutes, I just I think it would be really cool to do this. Um, We've got time to do a five-minute thing. Yeah, okay. So what I'd love us to do, and you might be a visitor here, and you might not think you can do this, and that's okay. Um, I don't want anyone to feel particularly uncomfortable, but I would ask you just to humour me in this, because I think it could be so powerful. I would love for us this morning to just talk to the person next to us. You might not know them, that's okay. And I don't mind if you know them or not. So don't feel you have to rejig. And I just want you, I'm sorry if you've got to pick up kids because it's time to do that. Um, But if uh, you can just take two minutes each and really quickly ask this question. Lord, what do you want to say to my neighbour right now? Now, if this is something you've not done before, don't worry. It's really easy okay, all we do, when God is speaking all the time, and all we have to do is ask the question, and the first thing that comes into our mind that we see, uh, might be see in our mind's eye, it might be that we're drawn to a Bible verse, it might be um, we just have a a strong sense of something, that first thing, don't try and understand it, that first thing is usually what the Lord is saying. And the golden rule of releasing prophetic stuff from the New Testament is it's designed to build up, to encourage, and to comfort. That's 1 Corinthians 14. That's New Testament prophecy. So, can we just do that? We're going to give you four minutes, two minutes for each person. Lord, what are you saying to my neighbour? And just speak whatever it is. Make sure it's encouraging. And then... I'm going to close the service. So you've got four minutes. Go. Um, I will call you back in a couple of minutes, just so you know, so and I will we'll close the service officially.